Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast. Today, I have performance, lifestyle, mental coach, J.M. Ryerson. J.M., how are you today? German, I'm blessed, man. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. I'm doing amazing. I wish I was where you were at, sunny Florida. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's pretty nice right now, brother. I mean, this is the time of year people want to be in Florida for sure. So we're it's it's beautiful outside. But you're uh, you're in SoCal, man. You always got nice weather. Yeah, but the weather is like, I feel like there's a misconception because someone came from Florida to Southern California during the wintertime, and they said that it was a lot colder than what they thought it would be. Because mm. they think it's like sunny, but in the morning it's freezing, and the nighttime is freezing. So there's a big, big misconception because we don't have the humidity that you guys have. No, that's fair. You know what's <laughs> funny? Everybody listening that's up in, like, Minnesota or Chicago, they're like, really, guys? You're right. whining about it being a little cold? Come on, <laughs> <Right>. man. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, JM, um, the way I like to start these is I like to go, you know, start at people's history on how they grew up, you know, and the challenges that they faced, um, you know, becoming the person that they are today. So you grew up in Montana in the in the mountain area, right? Uh, I mean, surrounded by mountains for sure. And Great <laughs> right. Falls, Montana. Um, but yeah, man, I love mountains and fly fishing. And yeah, Montana is my 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 home state. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, what? Uh, how was it for you growing up in Montana? In yeah, man, I, I love Montana. First off, it's it's an amazing place for those that haven't been there. Go visit. You just don't stay. You know, if I tell people to go stay, man, they're going to get mad at me. Uh, no, it was cool, man, because I, I grew up playing every sport under the sun. I grew up fly fishing and hunting and just being outside. So if you like the outdoors, it, it's a tough place to beat, man. It is just, it's an amazing place. But, you know, really, I, the majority of my childhood was shaped by different sports, you know, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, swimming, soccer. And I ended up playing hoops in college because that was my passion. It wasn't actually even my best sport, but I love basketball. You know, it's just, it's such a great game. And so that's what I ended up playing in, in college and just, yeah, man, it's, uh, I don't know specifically what you want to know about, you know, uh, my, my background growing up there, but, uh, it was an awesome place to grow up and, uh, just playing sports, man. That, that was my, my passion until I blew out my knee for the third time in mm -hmm. college. And then that sent me on a different path, which is kind of what led me to what I am today in terms of you know, performance and leadership and mindset all because of really that last knee injury is, is when I look back. Mm -hmm. And did you go through any challenges, um, during your time growing up that you think propelled you to be the individual that you are today? Yeah, man, I, I would say it was those knee injuries, um, because so much of my identity was wrapped around being the athlete. And mm -hmm. so after blowing out my knee for the first time, my freshman year, my whole sports like outlook kind of changed. And so I was constantly rehabbing, got back. Then my junior year, my best uh, high school game thus far, I blow it out with like 30 seconds uh, left in, in the, the game and lost the last part of my junior year. Well, all scholarship offers pretty much went away uh, with that with that second knee injury. And I ended up playing in an all-star uh, camp, uh, 
type event my senior year. And one college, literally one college in Eastern Montana said, you know what, we'll pay for your books. And I guess the, the point of the story is I actually had a full ride to name a Pac-10 school at the time oh, for wow. swimming. But I actually chose this little place in Eastern Montana called Dawson to go play basketball. And that was not really a popular decision with my folks because literally you have all these accredited, amazing schools, the Berkeleys, UCLA's, all that. Or I picked this really small school. And, you know, it was actually the best decision I could have made for me because it led me on the path of following my passion. And so I go my freshman year, blow out my knee for the third time. And that really changed you know, James no longer an athlete. I'm a normal dude that's going to, you know, figure it out in college. And I ended up studying abroad. And so those knee injuries are really what shaped um, a lot of my thinking today. So it's it's weird to say it was a blessing, but 100% it was. Yeah. And so what was your passion going into college? Exactly. That made yeah. you want to stay, um, you know, in Montana. I mean, I was just looking to play ball. That that was all I wanted, man. I just, I, I love the game of basketball. I love team sports. And so my passion was just literally figuring out how I can play basketball. It wasn't, you know, well, okay. of course, girls and basketball, I guess, was really the two. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, man, that that was my passion. And And then after the last knee surgery, when I ended up studying abroad, I, I fell into reading. And I, mm. uh, because I was on trains all the time, uh, you know, traveling all through Europe and that really put me on a course of continuing to educate myself. You know, I read two books pretty much every month, um, every month since. And so I was 20 years old when that happened, mm -hmm. 45 now. So 25 years of reading, you know, 30 to 40 books, uh, you know, you, you learn some things along the way. And I don't know if that would have happened had I not blown out my knee i'm not sure i wasn't on that path at the time right right okay okay and so your journey from experiencing external success while struggling mentally mentally is something that you know a lot of a lot of people deal with and mm -hmm. so can you share a pivotal moment that like triggered your transformation well i have two um so about 12 years ago now, my wife and I were separated for a year mm -hmm. and I was at a place, it's hard to say today, but I looked at her and I, I saw nothing but disdain, man. I mean, this is the, the, the mother of my two kids. And at some point we had lost our way so much. And I say we, but the truth is I had lost my way. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that Sherman is on the outside looking in, you know, I'm making seven figures a year. I'm, I'm like, you know, early thirties. So everything looks good business-wise, but I was almost 300 pounds at the time. Um, my relationships were completely severed. My wife and I were separated for a year. And that's when I, I looked in the mirror, brother, and I didn't like what I saw, you know, and, and in large part, the folks that I was surrounding myself with, I wasn't proud of what I was looking at. And so that started me on this path to say, you know what, it's time to really put a focus on showing up as your authentic self, as this mm, kid yeah. from Montana, you know, I, I'm proud of who I am, 
But at some point I started putting on these masks and I was trying to look a certain way, sound a certain way. And it was all just, it was nonsense. The truth be told. And once I found myself again, where it's just take all the masks off here, here I am. Life has just become so much easier. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, I actually lost my dad and he committed suicide. And that was another moment where it's awful. My dad and I are as close as a father and son can be, but it made me realize how precious life is. It gave me a perspective that I have today that every single day is a gift and, and we need to treat it that way. Mm-hmm. And I guess before I would have said, yeah, I really knew that I didn't. When I lost my dad, everything changed for the better because I I really do value life in a way that I, I I don't think I could have before. And I miss him, man. I want him back every single day. But the gift that he left uh, with that unfortunate, you know, action that he took is this perspective that I get. And now I can share that with, you know, your audience, my kids, and and really make sure that every single day I wake up and I'm just, I'm grateful to be here and, and to, to be as healthy and and just alive, man. It's just, it, it truly is a gift. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. That is, that is very powerful because me, myself, I, I dealt with like, I've been to at least four funerals within the past year, looking at some of the friends I grew up with in caskets, my grandmother. And so it just gave me a different perspective to like be more intentional with your life, you know, every single day, set an intent, a positive intention because you never know when you're going to go. So I could I could definitely relate. And so, um, J.M., in your book, Let's Go Win, The Keys to Living Your Best Life, you emphasize breaking through limiting beliefs. Mm. So what practical steps do you recommend for individuals facing similar internal conflicts? Yeah, yeah, I always give people three questions to ask themselves. What so. A self-limiting belief. Mine was around money, right? That that was something that I had. The first time I made a million dollars in a year, Sherman, I felt horrible. Now that sounds really odd, but the truth is, I felt bad, man, because mm-hmm. I was taught that money was not really a positive. It was that was for the other people. It wasn't for me. And so I I ask people to ask themselves, what story are you telling yourself right now? Because that was just a story that money was bad, right? That was yeah. something that was passed down from generations my dad to me my grandfather to my dad his dad to him and that's like four generations deep and somehow i took that story on so i was asked people what story are you telling yourself and just answer how is that serving you it wasn't serving me in a positive manner to think poorly about money and why do you believe that And when you get to the root cause of why you believe some of these self-limiting beliefs, what you'll realize is they weren't even yours to begin with. Right. We are talking about people, you know, 80 years ago, 60 years ago. Why are we taking their ideas and their self-limited beliefs as our own? But the truth is, Sherman, it happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. We are given so many of these self-limiting beliefs. I want you to stop and say, is that true? Why yeah. do I believe it? And what story am I telling myself? Because we are the we get to tell our story every single day. So if you don't like the story you're telling yourself right now, change it. You have that choice. It's your you have that ability, but you got to be willing to ask the questions. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. It is often tough for people to be brutally honest with themselves and ask themselves those themselves those questions without you know the ego overinflating. You know, it's like that's what that's one of the hardest asses to sit down and be like, okay, let's be honest with you. If anybody, if you're no, if you're if you're honest with anybody, at least let it be yourself. You know. Yeah, it it is interesting to me because you're right. People would rather lie to themselves than than be honest. But why? If we want to squeeze everything out of every day, if you want the very best life, you got to be willing to just look and say, you know what? Maybe I'm not proud of what I'm looking at, but I can change it. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what happened for me is I decided I wanted to live every day as my best life. And my wife and I repaired our relationship all because I was willing to say, you know what? You're not showing up as the best you but you can do it. You have the the ability. It's a choice to make. Why not just go make it? And that's interesting because there's a lot of debates on marriage relationships and men and uh, men and women's roles in relationships. Right. So you were 300 pounds. You made, you know, a million dollars a year. Any woman, well, the majority of women in America will be happy or try to make themselves happy with the man that made a million dollars a year. Like, let's just be honest. So it's pretty interesting how you just said, okay, I'm still not happy with myself, even though I'm making all of this money to support her and my family, there's still some things I need to work on with me because I feel like the majority of American men will manipulate themselves to feel like they're doing okay. Like, man, you're making all of this money to support her. I don't care if you were 350 pounds, she should be happy. If she's not happy, get her out of here and find a woman that would be happy with the man like you making all of this money. So the way you were accountable at that moment to say, hey, no, I need to start with me, even though I am providing and, you know, giving all of this support. So like how... Did you even, how did you even do that? You know, like that's, that takes a lot of courage. And I, you know, like if I feel like a lot of men that were in a similar position would have took the other route and would have said, well, the hell with you, I could find another you like, like that, you know, but good luck finding a man that makes a million dollars a year. So what, like, how did that even happen? Like, how was that epiphany for you? Yeah, that's a good question, man. And, and, the business partner I had at the time, I had watched him go through three divorces and he was working on number four. So you're right. The easy quote unquote route would have been to just go find someone else. But the, the challenge was Sherman, when you're not happy with yourself, you can't truly love anyone else, right? Because right. it starts with loving yourself. It starts with truly being proud of who you are. And so what really started it is my kids, man, I, me not having my kids a hundred percent of the time, that doesn't work for me. Like my kids are my everything and my wife. But at that time, you're going to take away my kids 50% of the time. No, not going to happen. So right. they were really the, the crux, the, the press of, they, they were the starting block to be like, Hey man, why did you, you know, you always wanted to be a dad. Well, I don't want to be a dad 50% of the time. And that's, look, I've watched my business partner have to do that. And that was actually a lot of folks do do that. And that's okay for them. But for me, it wasn't okay. 
I needed to be with my boys 100% of the time. Two boys, too? Yes, sir. 17 (laughs) and 14, man. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they they really did. They were the reason that I looked in the mirror and said, look, I'm trying to be a role model for them. These are the most important beings in my world. And I'm not showing up in the best version. This isn't what I want them to see. And I certainly don't want to have them 50% of the time. Look, money is a good thing. I know that now. And I love making money because it just provides more opportunities. However, that does not provide happiness. And I know people have their little, you know, sayings like somebody that's, you know, says money doesn't provide happiness, doesn't have any. That's bull. That's baloney. Look, it doesn't. Does it make life easier? Sure. Of course it does. But it can also really bring other challenges along if you allow it. So it's funny, man, how we get so wrapped up in emotions around this tangible thing. Right. And so anyway, to answer your question, it was a long-winded answer, but it was my boys that really, I had to look in the mirror and say, man, I want to be the best dad, the the hero like my dad was for me, for my boys. And I can't do that 50% of the time. I don't, I don't think I would have made it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, at least you, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I definitely understand that it's, you know, it's a, that's a good selfless way to, to do it. Cause some people it's like, they don't even tend to even care about that at all. It's like, well, I could still, you know, that it's another form of manipulation. Like I could still be an effective parent 50% of the time is going to be okay. But in reality, when you talk to people, that actually been through divorces. Like my parents are still married to this day. I'm married with my kids. And so me talking to, so I don't understand, but when I talk to people that have been through that, it's very hard on them, no matter who they are. And so it's like for you to even do that to your children, no matter what the case is, it's going to be a disservice, you know? Yeah. And you know, they were the the starting point to get mm-hmm. back but we also had to, I had to, again, learn to love me so I could truly be the best dad, right? Because even at 100% of the time, but being unhealthy, being an unhealthy relationship, that's not really showing up as the best version. So they were the starting bo- starting block. And then it was really just starting all these habits that I that I do today to make sure that every morning when I wake up, I'm the best dad for them every single day that I'm the best employer, that I'm the best, you know, um, husband, whatever hat I'm wearing. And mm-hmm. it, and it did start with really just figuring out the, the habits that I need to do every day so I can be happy and truly love every single moment. Right. Right. And so did you start your weight loss journey after that as well? And, you know, going to the gym, being more fit. Yeah. You know what? It's, Actually, I coach on this all the time. The fastest way to create momentum is just start moving, right? And it was funny to look back because I've always been active. Mm-hmm. I, I Even at that time, I was active, but my my diet wasn't on point, right? And I wasn't really taking my workouts as, as seriously as I do now. And so, yeah, to answer 100%, just start moving. And that was really the first thing I did is just, you know, hammering out because I had more time. Again, mm-hmm. I... I don't, I guess the blessing was I only had my kids 50% of the time that gave me more time to go to the gym. Um, And so, yeah, I started working out crazy and then uh, my diet just got on point. 
And it's, it's interesting once you start moving, how much better you feel, because when you're stagnant, when you're like, you know, sedentary, it's not a great feeling, man. Human beings are meant to move. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I'd lost my way on that. Yeah. That's why I have a a standing desk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm standing up right now. I stand type. So I'm like, I'm very consciously aware of that. Um, and so how do you create balance between you being a husband and a father and an entrepreneur, you know, the CEO of the Let's Go Win podcast, you have the coaching, you have, you're also a best-selling author. Like, how do you create balance in order to be the best in all of those realms? That's a great question, man. And, you know, I, I, I've struggled back and forth with balance or harmony. What's the right word? And, and, you know, the truth is it's all connected. Like going back to when I was separated, sure. Business was doing great, but everything else was a mess. Well, guess what? That's going to start making you really dislike business too, because it's all related. Yeah. And so to find that balance is just checking in. How is my relationships and really being present. So for instance, you and I are doing a podcast right now. And right now, all I have is Sherman, man. This is my guy. And I'm going to give him a hundred percent. Nothing else matters right now. And when you and I are done and I go to the next thing, whether that's emails or writing a book, I'm going to be a hundred percent present and giving everything to that. Well, the same applies with, with our kids and with our relationship. When I get home from work, I'm going to give my kids 100% of me. So if I spend 30 minutes with them, just 100% intentional, very present, that's so much more effective than three hours of being with them with the TV on my cell phone in hand. Like that's not really spending any time. And so to find that harmony, to find that balance, it's really just checking in and really giving a hundred percent to that at the time. And when you're done, when I'm done with work, I'm going to go ahead and put that to the side. I'm not going to bring it into the bedroom with me and, you know, bring that into my time with my wife. Mm-hmm. When business is going on, I'm going to give it everything I got. When I that's done, I'm going to give my wife everything that I have. I'm going to give my kids everything that I have. That has allowed me such uh, better balance and fulfillment in each area. And it's less time that I actually have to devote to working. And it's and you get more out of it. I, so I hope that makes sense, brother. But yeah, that yeah. that really being intentional is, is so important. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Cause me, I, I say I have tunnel vision. Like if I'm doing something and you're talking to me, you have to like grab me and say, Hey, pay attention to me. Stop looking at that. But then, but now I'm more so like, I need to apply that same type of tunnel vision into, you know, spending time with my kids going out, doing this when I'm talking to somebody, giving them my undivided attention and not breaking that, you know? So I, yeah, I definitely understand that. Like yesterday, my kids kept beating me up and I have to put them on the ground and tickle them. And that made their night, you know, like, daddy, come on. And I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, me doing that for 20 minutes is way more effective than me just sitting in a room with them and being there. You know, it's like, how are you, you know, and then we're they're chasing me around the house and stuff like that. And I was just thinking about that, like, wow, this is a very effective way to give them a memory and, you know, parenting as well, you know? No, it's so true. Cause when they look back, they're not going to look back and go, I remember dad sitting on the couch with a cell phone as a great memory. Right, oh, right. I remember dad wrestling with us and tickling us and putting us to bed. 
Yeah. Those are lasting memories. And and if we can stop and really, I'm not saying like, don't be lazy on the cell phone. Sure. We all have that moment. Right. But don't make that your legacy is the point. Mm-hmm. Being more consciously aware and intentional is like a very big thing. Yeah. And so, um, so also I know that you and your wife, Lisa work together. Mm. right so she has uh a, is, is it a version of let's go win as well what is it called? so she is a non-profit let's go give uh it's all for cancer research yeah right right on behalf of her brother that was battling cancer and so how is how is that like you incorporating your spouse in your business um how does that work for you yeah, this is, I hope anybody that's listening that works with a significant other, listen really closely because there's some things that you can absolutely do so that it's awesome or it can be awful. And I've had both, by the way, when Lisa and I worked together before, we used to talk about it, you know, when we're having our time, like at, over dinner and we talk about it, you know, when we're supposed to be bonding with each other in our, in a you know, pillow time, it's like, we don't do that anymore. Often Lisa will want to talk about something. I'm like, Hey, go ahead and set a calendar event. Just go ahead and set up an office event. And people laugh just like you, man. It's like, really? I'm like a hundred percent. We will talk about that at the designated time. I'm not bringing this to everything that we do because what happens is you end up dreading every conversation because it's the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So making those clear boundaries were really important for us to say, look, we're going to work together. And when we're done with that, that's it. We're going to go be a family together. We're going to go do date night together. We're not going to let that bleed into everything, which is what we did early. And brother, I'm telling you that created resentment that created like, it was just not a great relationship when, Mm -hmm. and she laughs now today because she'll be like, I got a quick question. I'm like, go ahead and set a appointment. We'll, We'll meet on that tomorrow. And she's like, really? I'm like, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't ever want to go back there again. So I love working with my wife because she is awesome. She mm-hmm. is probably the best salesman I've ever met or saleswoman or salesperson. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's uh, having those boundaries have been really important for us. Right. Right. And so I know you're a, a big advocate for leadership and building a strong team. And so with that being said, you working with your wife and you also have a, a couple other individuals that you do work with. How uh, you as a leader, what are some of the strategies that you implement for creating a, a strong team? So for me, the, it starts with my leadership philosophy, which is it's not about me, right? So every time I go to think and my ego gets in the way and I'm like thinking about JM, I need to stop and say, look, it's not about me. So I start there. And then what some of the basic things that I think every team I hope does is that we talk about what our cultural values are every single time that we meet. It's the first thing that we do, that happy, healthy, wealthy are values, that the company's purpose is to inspire people to live their best lives, and our mantra is to get better every single day. Mm. Before every meeting, we say those things, so we're all clear on exactly why we're here. And it allows everybody to really get buy-in for why this company exists, what we're trying to accomplish. And then we go right into wins because um, often when I coach other companies, they'll start the same meeting the same way. 
Hey, Sherman, how was your weekend? Blah, blah, blah. And then we start complaining about something going on in the business. And then at the end, we may have come to some solution, but instead we, we literally do our, our values, our, our mantra and our purpose. We go into our wins. Then we do expectations, our issues with a solution, and then the outcomes. And that cuts our meetings in half and really making sure that, uh, so Nisha is an example. She, it was probably the one that booked us and got us connected. Well, I had nothing to do with it because she's empowered to go do that. She knows that I would be a good guest for Sherman and and vice versa. And I, I don't need to check in on that. I trust her. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, you know, check in weekly to say, Hey, do you have everything you need? Is there anything support wise you need? But other than that, I'm not micromanaging. Right. And so when you set it up that way, Sherman, it just makes everyone really get to fulfill their position and, and have the freedom to do great work. Mm, right. Trusting the people that you work with. And so are there any steps that you take to actually like, um, you know, like pick the right people in order to work with you? Is there anything that you look for in someone that says, okay, you're a right fit for this business? Yeah. So let's go with the cultural values, happy, healthy, wealthy. Now, if I'm interviewing somebody and I could say, Hey, Sherman, are you happy? I mean, that's a terrible question, by the way, you'd say, yes. Okay. Sherman, can you give me an example of what really makes you happy? It's called behavioral interviewing. And if Sherman truly is a happy person, it's going to come out, man. He's going to light up. But Mm -hmm. if he's not, if he's more of a Debbie Downer, I want to find that out because if you're not happy in my company, you're not going to like it very much. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb (laughs) health. Same thing. Like, do you believe in, you know, staying in shape and, and eating right and really being healthy. And if not, if you know, you want to just binge junk food, like cool, but you're not going to be a great fit for my company. And then wealthy, that's not just financially. That's we're talking spiritually, man. We're talking relationship wise. And so when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm really looking to see, do these things come innate to them? Are they happy? Are they healthy? And are they wealthy? And if not, is that something they want to aspire to be mm-hmm. or are they just not a good fit? And I don't care what your cultural values are. You, you just figure out what they are and you interview to that. And that will save you more time and energy and money than any hiring practice. Just making sure that they're a good fit for your team, because the, the uh, saying to uh, what is it? Slow to hire quick to fire Mm -hmm. there's a reason for that yeah um because you want to make sure you're bringing the right people on and by the way if you brought the wrong person on don't hold on they're probably not happy either so yeah man just checking in on the cultural values is so key yeah yeah it's it's funny because i had a um conversation with someone and i was like if you have a choice between someone you know, that I come into interview with your company and they say, Hey, I just woke up and I ran five miles and then they come in and they're in shape. And then you have another person that's like 250 pounds, which person would you rather hire for your company? You know, <laughs> and I was, and it was like, Oh, the guy, the person that ran five miles in the morning. Why? Cause that shows discipline, determination, willpower, and they're going to bring those same traits to your business. You know, that, and it says a lot. And I just, you know, over 41% of Americans are overweight. And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's crazy because like, why would I want to bring on someone 
that doesn't even take care of themselves that's not healthy that doesn't even you know they're not happy really you know because it's like how can you bring i don't well basically it's like i don't want to bring that type of energy to my business and it may be looked at as a discrimination but then when you break it down in finite terms it's like well it just makes sense you know well, it's so true. And, you know, often we hire to a resume. It's like, no, 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 no. Hire for the character of the person. There's mm-hmm. not a skill today, in my opinion, that you can't learn pretty quickly through YouTube, some online course. Like, so I hire the character of the person. And obviously, I want them to have skills, but I would much rather hire that character person that will have to learn the skills than somebody that's awesome skill wise, but they're going to ruin the culture of my team. You, you got to pick that person for the, for the character who they are hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And so where's your stand? Well, let me go back. So what um inspired you from, you know, building businesses, you built businesses, you sold them, you know, you made a million dollars a year. I'm not sure what business you were in where you made a million dollars a year. What, what was that? Uh, financial services were the first three companies that I built. Um, okay. Yeah. And I don't ask me anything financial because I promise <laughs> you, I'm not going to know the answer. Nah. <laughs> but I was good at building teams and leadership. So that's, that's what I focused on. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause that's a totally different, I'm, I'm, my background is also financial services. So I did mortgages, I did life insurance and I absolutely hated it, but it was just like, okay, this is something I could do to make money that I have a little skill in. Right. And so, um, how did you go from that to saying, okay, I want to inspire other people to be the best version of themselves? Yeah, it actually, it happened accidentally because the first book is what launched all of this. I wrote that book for my two sons or my wife and my sons. Um, I, I wanted them to not skin their knees as many times as I did growing up. And I wanted them to have the lessons from my parents and grandparents and all the mentors and authors and so when I wrote the book, I only intended to give it to those two kids. And the lady that I was working with said, man, you are selfish. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, if you only give this book to two human beings, you're selfish. All right, lesson learned, publish the book. And next thing I know, I had a good family friend say, hey, can you help my son lose weight? I was like, yeah, I could do that. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a you know, trainer, but yeah, I could help him. So I helped this kid lose 80 pounds in about six months. Mm-hmm. And then the next person said, Hey, I, I have a friend that's a professional golfer and he's really struggling. Can you help him? I said, yeah, I could do that. And so started working with him. And, and what I realized is it's all the same stuff, right? Whether you're a professional golfer or an executive looking to lose weight, I'm going to teach you the same basic principles um, and once you apply them, you can go accomplish anything that you want. Mm-hmm. And so it just led me to, to doing the podcast and I love it. Sherman, literally every single day I get to wake up and work with people on living their best lives, accomplishing their dreams. I can't think of a better job in the world. And so I fell into it. I I'm very blessed that I did. And I can't imagine doing anything else at this point. Wow. That's amazing. So, but then did you do you feel like you had those traits before you even dove into this by working with people in financial services because when you're work, when you're in financial services you basically just have to do the best for people financially that'll help serve them 
and say, okay, look, I saved you 500 on your mortgage, or I got you money back on your taxes, or, you know, that's also a big self-help type of uh, business. So do you feel like all of that, you building the teams, you working with people, you talking to different people every day, you help, you're, you're helping people. You were also uh, into sports. Do you feel like all of that kind of like, and also you reading books when you got injured, all of that, not coincidentally, but coincidentally led you to who you are today. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. I, look, I'm, I'm obsessed with performance. I, I, I absolutely human performance is something I'm just, I, I love it. And leadership is my, another passion and then mindset. And so when I looked at it, this was what I've been coaching on. Even when I was in financial services, I was never doing that. I was coaching my, my people to perform at their very best to do leadership. Cause I was building teams around the country. Mm-hmm. And then in my opinion, all of that starts with your mindset. Literally everything, the quote that Henry Ford said, it's my favorite, whether you think you can or can't, you're right. I think it's the most profound, simple quote in the world, because if you think you can, you're absolutely right. And we're seeing it with like an Elon Musk, or we're seeing it with a Jeff Bezos. I mean, people thought these people are crazy, but they knew I can change the, uh, you know, car manufacturing. I can completely disrupt that by bringing Tesla to the world. And he has. And so anyway, to answer your question, yes, a thousand percent. I realized that performance leadership mindset, that's what I love. And that's what I'm passionate about. And so all of those lessons I learned through the 20 years of building the financial services, I was practicing really for now my legacy company, which is Let's Go Win. Mm -hmm. And so do you feel any disdain for people that want to get into coaching that really don't have the skills or the background to actually, um, you know, like bring the best out of individuals? Because I see a lot of people coming up uh, with self-help companies or lifestyle coaching companies. And then when you realize their background, like say they were either uh, abusing drugs or abusing alcohol, then they got over it. And then it's like, okay, I could end up teaching people the same thing. You know, and I'm kind of like, uh, well, was this you before that happened? Like, you know, like what's, you know, because because I had a, um, you know, something a little, uh, well, my argument with someone, and I'm just like, man, I never abused drugs or alcohol or anything like that. I stopped drinking because I didn't like how I was. But other than that, I was always like a big performance, ambitious, you know, go go get it type of guy. And so, with that being said. Now I'm like, okay, I could teach other people the same thing because I often I'm often the person that they come to for that anyway, you know, so why not create a business out of it? Because I would do taxes with someone and they'll say, okay, I want to meet in person. I'm like, okay, cool. Next thing you know, I'm in a therapy session Mm. and I'm like, what? Like, I thought we were doing taxes, but they're talking to me about all other type of topics because they know that I have a, um, you know, like a different way of looking at things. They they respect my perspective, you know? So now I'm like with all of these coaching companies coming up and it's just a money grab and, you know, people like you or myself that actually have been through certain things where you could actually teach people something. How do you feel, you know, about this, this industry now? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Here's what I would say. I don't believe in armchair quarterbacks. What I mean by that is if you're not willing to do the work, 
you shouldn't ask anybody else. And and my coach, my basketball coach in college was a great example. Mm-hmm. Every Monday and Wednesday, we had to run two and a half miles. Well, brother, I don't like to run. I like to play ball. I like to, you know, follow the ball. I don't like to run. But he, and we would complain about it, right? Running two and a half miles. But this is when it all clicked. He was running five miles those same days. Mm-hmm. So he's asking us to run two and a half, but he's actually doing twice the amount of work. That taught me such a lesson. Anything I ask of any client that I'm with, I need to be willing to do the work and have proven to do it. The biggest challenge I see with some of these coaches is they're saying something, and I see it all the time, man. I've These influencers, as I get into this world more and more, they'll be saying something on stage, and then I'll go to dinner with them, and it's like a totally different person. I'm like, you're not, <laughs> you're not even the same guy. Right. Like what you said on stage. You're a good salesperson, but you're not living the truth. Mm-hmm. That is the time that I that that where I really struggle with that, where I'm like, man, be authentic. And so right. somebody that has, let's say, has had a drug problem in the past. I don't have a problem with people having a past as long as they're willing to be upfront about it. Mm hmm own that and say, this was just like I own, you know, my separation from my wife. Like, I'm not ashamed of that. It's one of the best lessons I could have learned, but I'm not going to armchair quarterback anything. If I ask you to do something, it's something that I have been willing to do or or I'm doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's the biggest thing I'd like to see coaches do is don't ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that because I look at everything like that because I'm like, man, there will there will never be a single man that's the president you know he always has to have this characteristic about him it's like i'm not going to teach health and wealth and i'm not at least healthy or wealthy in some kind of ways you know it's like it's it's you know it doesn't make sense but yeah that's a that's a great thing and so um in closing is there anything that you teach your clients like say do you have a story of um of a client that was going through something you just gave them the tools and now they're, you know, wherever they are now, like, do you have a story that you would like to share? Well, I, I, I lots of stories come to mind. I mean, the first 10 clients I tracked, mm-hmm. what's interesting about when I, when I worked with them is, so I told you about Koki, he lost 80 pounds in six months. Here's what's crazy, brother. Six of the 10 that were single, found their significant other or their life partner within a year of working with me. Well, why is that? It's not like that's what I was trying to accomplish. I was trying to help him lose weight, Mm -hmm. help somebody with, you know, with their business. But what happens is it's a byproduct. And when you're happy with who you are, now you can truly go find your true love. So that would be the story. But here's what's interesting. And this is something that took me a long time to realize. And that's why I wrote my third book, which is called upgrade mm-hmm. for 20 some odd years. Sherman, I was trying to change people, but here's the thing. People don't like change. Right. Most people don't like change because now I'm saying that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So when I realize it's not a change, I just want to help upgrade because people are so used to upgrading. We upgrade our cell phones once a year. We love getting upgraded from, you know, economy to first class on a flight. But guess what? That's a change. And Mm -hmm. so when I'm coaching with people now, I'm like, look, brother, I'm not trying to change you. Let's consider an upgrade. 
And people are like, yeah, I could upgrade myself. That sounds good. <laughs> right. But when it's like, hey, you're trying to change me, it, it really labels them as something's wrong with them. That has been the biggest revelation for me, just that change of word from change to upgrade. And people are so much more receptive to it. So uh, it, I'm glad I found it. And I wish I'd found it 20 years ago because life would have been a hell lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's what I had to go through to, to really find that. Yeah, it's accepting people for for who they are. You know, me, people like, hey, I want to go to the gym. Well, I'm like, hey, this is my style of working out. You might be more of a cardio or hit or running or biking type of guy. I don't care. That's you. That's how you do it. But this is how I do it. So, hey, be the best at what you can do. I'll be the best at what I can do. We're all different. As long as you're doing something, that's what matters, you know? Oh, 100%, man. I, yeah. I love that, though. You're saying, look here's how my workout looks. I'd love to have you be a part of it, but mm -hmm. maybe it's not for you. I just, you setting expectations for them. I, I think it's smart. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I noticed that a lot of trainers, they'll say do it this way or my way, or just don't do it at all. Or, you know, Hey, you're doing it wrong. And I'm just like, Hey man, as long as those people are moving, just let them move. You know, Hey, everybody has their own style. Everybody has their own get down and it is what it is, you know? No, hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. And so um, also, where can people find you? You know, give us some of the titles. I know you have the Let's Go Win book. I, I don't know the uh, the second one, but the third one is Upgrade. You know, yes. <laughs> yeah. So Let's Go Win. Uh, that's the orange book behind me. Champions Daily Playbook. That's more if you want to accomplish a goal in 90 days, pick that thing up and, and just follow it. You'll 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 knock it out of the park. It's only 11 pages of text. And that's really how I coach people. Uh, to find me, let's go win. Uh, let's go win.com or Instagram. Let's go win 365. That's where I have the most interaction with people. I'd love to to interact with any of your listeners, man. And and just thank you for having me, man. You asked some great questions. I just appreciate you. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming. You know, I had to, I was pretty nervous about this. I, I looked at you, I was like, oh God, I know he was this big. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this guy is the man. I, I got to come with it on this one. <laughs> you ask great questions. That's very kind of you, but brother, you're just a good dude. And I appreciate you having me on. It, it was awesome. Thank you so much, man. Plan on connecting with you soon. Um, you know, again, I appreciate you and yeah, man, looking forward to reading all three of your books. Thank you. Thank you.